Welcome to All About Art. My name is Alexandra, and I'm an art historian, curator, and writer. Within this podcast, topics relating to art history, cultural policy, the art sector, as well as a large range of other art-related topics will be covered. Conducting critical discussions, having entertaining exchanges, or just enjoying some relaxing chats? All About Art is where you'll find it all. Join me in exploring and developing cultural discourse. Welcome to another episode of All About Art. In this episode, I sat down with co-founder of Unit London, Joe Kennedy. This episode is being launched a month after they celebrated their 10th anniversary of the gallery. And with that, Unit teamed up with All About Art to put on one of our signature All About Art networking events. There was an amazing turnout with over £600 raised for the charity hospital rooms. In this episode, I got to ask Joe about his push into entrepreneurship and how he got into the arts. We chat about how the gallery landscape has changed in the last 10 years and how he thinks it will continue to change in the following 10. Listen on to hear me ask Joe about social media and NFTs, how the gallery chooses artists they work with, and so much more. Thank you, Joe, for coming on the podcast and to the whole amazing team at Unit London for this fabulous collaboration. Before I dive in, I wanted to let you lovely listeners know that All About Art is on Patreon. So if you want some behind the scenes content, maybe a bit of merch, the chance to get one-on-ones with me and my guests, or you're simply wanting to support this project, I would be absolutely thrilled if you decided to sign up. You can do so through the link in the show notes. I also wanted to say thank you to those who have already signed up. Your support means the world, and it makes the further production, improvement, and growth of the podcast possible. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. And now, on to the interview. Also, thank you to our sponsors at Synergy Associates, the art world tech gurus, for supporting this episode's production at their clubhouse on Pall Mall. You can find more about Synergy and their facilities in the show notes. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. I am happy to be sitting down with you in a big moment for Unit London. This year is the gallery's 10th anniversary, and to celebrate, you're putting on a variety of events, including collaborating with me on an all-about art networking event, which I'm obviously really thrilled about. But before we dive deeper into Unit, I want to first ask you about your background so that listeners can get to know you. So how did you get into the arts? Well, I mean, uh, really, it started from a passion of mine. I was always uh, fascinated by creative culture. So not just visual arts, but film, music. And then I kind of discovered art, really, I think the first time I went to a museum was in um, was in Ireland at Emma uh, in Dublin. And I remember seeing a Louis Le Brocchi exhibition there when I was, uh, you know, probably 11 or 12 years old, didn't really know what I was looking at, and completely fell in love with it. And I think at that moment, I sort of unlocked something in me where I just realized how inspired I was by, by visual work and visual communication. I also realized that becoming an artist probably wasn't going to be a feasible career for me. There are lots of kind of barriers of access for, for creatives and artists who are practicing, but perhaps can't um, find the right 
uh, channels or don't have the right connections or contacts to be able to articulate their work, even to be able to spend the time and the energy and the resources on developing their practice. And it's extremely competitive, but also extremely restrictive. So I decided to go off in a slightly different direction. I went into advertising, studied psychology at university. I've always been really interested in why people make decisions and human behavior. And advertising for me was kind of a way of, of um, staying creative um, and putting things out into the world that could have uh, meaning and impact in a kind of, in a creative and maybe artistic way that didn't kind of pin me down into something that I didn't want to do and didn't put me into like a very vocational course. And so I, I basically went after university, went to Australia and I worked in an advertising agency there for a little while and came back to London really inspired to kind of to, to do something and create something. And uh, when I came back, I bumped into one of my best friends from school. We had a kind of a catch up and Johnny at the time was taking his work to galleries uh, in London. As an artist. As an artist. Mm -hmm. And was basically getting rebuffed. And we both had this experience of taking our work to, to, to galleries and trying to get into shows and not having any success. Mm. And it became very just frustrating, you know, and then we would go to gallery shows. I remember that summer when I came back, we went to um, a bunch of shows across London um, of artists that we were really excited to see. And the experience was lacking somehow for us. You know, we would go in and kind of leave almost deflated because the work that we were so excited to see was presented in a way or made us feel somehow like we weren't allowed to be there. Um, and a lot of that came down to, I think, the the gallery experience or the gallery design, the language that was used on the press release, the way that we were looked at and treated in the space, all of those kind of little triggers really kind of left us feeling like this could be done better somehow. You know, there's another way of doing this. And that's what led us ultimately into, into starting, starting the gallery 10 years ago now, was kind of a frustration with the way that um, artists were being presented and the way that people like us who maybe weren't from the industry we didn't we didn't have any kind of formal connections to the art world outside of sort of practicing as artists really we didn't feel like we were being spoken to and we knew that there was other people like us who who shared the same passion for for art and for artists and wanting to see work and discuss the work and um be immersed in it but didn't have the opportunity to or didn't feel like they were invited to those to those places or there weren't forums for them to have those discussions and conversations so um well we were like let's just find a way to do it ourselves and that's how that's how the gallery came to be yeah my next question was going to be when you started unit 10 years ago what was it that pushed you into entrepreneurship and you have just answered that with basically i mean to summarize it in one word it's frustration mm. it's frustration in looking at something that didn't exist that you really needed to bring into the art world mm -hmm. and thinking about unit now even those small triggers that you touched on earlier the entry into the gallery for example the fact that you guys have a really big door that slides open if i'm not mistaken yeah. it's very easy to walk in yeah it's very open you're always greeted your wall texts are always accessible in terms of language. It's not something yeah. that's incredibly convoluted. I mean, I studied art history and even I look at gallery texts and I'm like, what is this? Yeah. And so I think that that all has a really, really um, positive impact on that experience of people coming in. For sure. I, I think there's there's definitely a thing about the over-intellectualization of, of art. And I think there's there's obviously a place for kind of in-depth discourse and and the intellectualization of it and some some work requires it more than others perhaps but i also think there's um 
that initial gallery experience doesn't have to overwhelm the visitor. I think it's, there has to be an entry point and an entry level, like a jump off point for people to feel like they're not somehow inferior or not smart enough to be able to understand the work. And so that's something that we work on a lot at the gallery is, is our communication, our verbal communication, um, the choice of language. Yes, that's where the psychology comes in. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, I mean, I think with, with, with art, really, what you're doing is uh, essentially storytelling. And I've always been, you know, obviously been very influenced by advertising, my time in working in advertising agencies, which are incredibly like lucid, creative environments with super intelligent people, um, hilariously chaotic and fun, but also, you know, very smart. And I've always wanted to kind of recreate that culture within a gallery setting because, you know, being in an office like that was one of the first times I was really kind of in exposed to a rigid office environment. It's my first, like probably my first serious, serious job in an office. And I learned so much and it was such a stimulating environment and it's constantly generating ideas. And then, you know, you look at how musicians were being promoted um, or how films were being promoted or how um, fashion weeks were being handled. And the content and the marketing that was being done for those album launches or concerts or shows, or whatever, so compelling and so engaging and really capture people's imagination and attention. You basically couldn't ignore it. If you got on the tube, you just see the posters everywhere and there's smart ways of, of kind of getting people interested. And then the show, the art show that we'd want to go and see, we'd have to like find out about it in like a half page ad in a newspaper or something. Yeah. And it's like, well, why can't artists be be kind of celebrated and championed or promoted in the same way that a musician is, for example. Yeah. So that that the idea of kind of engaging that mass audience was always something that we wanted to wanted to do. And I think that starts from like the internal culture at the gallery and uh, with me and John's sort of um, approach and mindset to to kind of telling the stories of our artists and goes all the way through to how we communicate. You know, our shows, how we write our press releases, all those things you said. They all kind of ladder up to that to that mission for us of of engaging um, engaging a mass audience and getting more people involved in in the contemporary art market, or maybe not the market, but at least the contemporary art, art world. world. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. someone needs to tear down those barriers, I think, and let people realize that actually, like art is such a it's such a, an accessible, universal yes. form of communication, and and um, it's such a beautiful thing. And there's no such thing as important or not important art really i mean all art is good art and all art is bad art at the same time simultaneously and that's kind of the beauty of it um so for us it's it's really about how can we get more people involved how can we get more people to understand that um you don't have to push open that big heavy door in mayfair you don't have to feel inferior yeah you don't have um, to ring a buzzer <laughs> right it's it's the most it should be the most natural thing and i think the more people that we can get to engage with with artists the better yeah I feel like the gallery landscape can be something that's incredibly daunting, not only from a consumer's point of view or a visitor's point of view, but also from a business point of view because of the amount of galleries that are already in existence and the way that their business model works. Mm. How do you think that the gallery landscape has changed throughout the last decade since you founded UNIT? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's changed a lot. I mean, we we came into the industry, I think, with a lot of blissful naivety you know we had, <laughs> no. I feel like that's everyone who starts a business at like a young age as <laughs> yeah, well like, right yeah. and it's the best it's the best thing to have because you, you're not 
burdened by any preconditions or or conventions or you know we weren't following a formula of how things should be done we were you know we had this frustration with our experiences of going to galleries or as artists and as visitors and um we wanted to do things our own way so we kind of we had sort of a carte blanche if you like of um of how to approach this and how to do this and we just followed our instincts so yeah i think the the gallery world has certainly morphed from being more traditional to more digital which is an obvious thing to say because every single industry has done so but the, i think the art world was particularly slow to embrace new technology and i think there's various reasons for that there's both practical reasons and maybe ideological reasons also you know social media and kind of the online space sort of forces maybe transparency or forces a two-way dialogue between let's say a gallery and its audience and i think for a long time galleries had this this sort of privileged position of being able to dictate to to audiences and everything's invitation only you know uh the narrative of the artist the the show everything is sort of pushed through the mouthpiece of the gallery without much asking for any kind of feedback or response it's kind of like it was a one way very dictatorial kind of um setup and i think social media provides the a public forum where the people who are on there aren't necessarily invited by the gallery they're not drinking the Kool-Aid of the gallery they could be um they could have conflicting opinions and those opinions have to be responded to or have to be acknowledged and i think uh yeah it forces kind of some sort of degree of transparency and i think that's maybe one of the big transformational shifts that i would credit social media for in the art world is kind of shifting the ability for galleries and art institutions perhaps to kind of control the narrative so much and be entirely inoculated from feedback or discourse um and i think ultimately what that leads to is obviously more accessibility and i do think you know today versus 10 years ago because of perhaps social media and other factors i think the art world is a much more inclusive place you know we have much better representation within the industry both from a sort of collector standpoint and from an artistic standpoint and i think yeah i, I would credit social media in large part for that for those positive changes that we've seen there's still a long way to go and and you know the industry is still clinging to certain old antiquated kind of value systems and and belief systems and economic models even but i don't think they'll last much longer i think there's there's been a a really deep shift in in you know in kind of people's um wants and desires and that kind of pushes through into collector habits and collector opinions which then ultimately does push through into kind of what's being shown in the galleries um and yeah i think now versus 10 years ago it's a much it's a much more representative and diverse landscape which is which is only a good thing and i think that's probably one of the biggest changes i've seen in the last 10 years and hopefully it'll continue in that direction yeah, as well indeed speaking about one of the biggest shifts in the art world in recent years is the rise of the nft well nft blockchain and web3 right. i had i had nft in my head and then i looked at my notes and i was like oh wait there's more um i haven't really spoken to anyone on the podcast about this yet however your gallery is one of the only ones that i know of that is involved in this mm -hmm. Can you tell me about why you decided to take that leap especially amongst all of the controversy that NFTs ignited in the sector? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting like, you know, in 2013 when we started the gallery, 
you know, when we started, nobody knew who we were and we were operating out of a little pop-up space. And In Seven it, Dials, right? Uh, it was actually in Chiswick. It was in West London. Oh. So it was super... For some reason, I thought somewhere I read Seven Dials. Seven Dials was definitely a big part of our story. I, I think in the first six years of the gallery's existence, we had, I think, at least 15 spaces from oh. <laughs> empty shops. The first one was an yeah. em- empty charity shop. Then it was, we had empty office spaces. We had um, other empty retail units that we would just pop up in for a couple of weeks and get kicked out and then have to find somewhere else. I love that. It was a very nomadic kind of thing for a while. And um, it was just the two of us, you know, and we were, it was um, very much kind of, (laughs) yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun looking back on it. And it was, it was, it was a beautiful time in many ways, but it was also um, just crazy to to be kind of kicked out of space and then two weeks trying to find somewhere else and uh, maintain that. But um, but yeah, I mean, as the gallery started to kind of gain repute and as we started to sell things and people started to know who we were, um, we we kind of became synonymous with the use of social media. Um, lots of galleries were really shocked that you know you could technically sell art through social media and there was there was newspaper articles about us that were literally like the kids selling art on social media and it was I mean we were happy to be in a newspaper don't get me wrong but at the same time it it felt a little bit reductive because we wanted people to focus on our artists and the programming and what we were doing but the story uh, you know people kept talking about basically our use of social media because for a lot of the art world, I think it was seen as somehow revolutionary. For, to us, obviously, it wasn't revolutionary in any way. Is that we didn't feel like we were pioneering or anything. It just it just made sense to us because you know Instagram was is a tool of our time. But the reaction to you know from sort of the traditional art world and and the established art world to us as we started to gain a reputation was probably one of of disdain to some degree. There wasn't. Uh, like a mass sort of celebration of of our approach and how we were marketing artists and and sort of building our gallery. And when we moved into our, our space in Mayfair, that was a huge, huge, huge risk for us. And it was our first permanent space, the first space that we could actually call a home. And it basically nearly entirely broke us because for six years we were doing pop-ups and trying to save up and save up to eventually find somewhere permanent. And um, when we moved in there, we had zero in the bank account. We spent everything that we'd saved in, oh my in God. those six years. On. What a risk. So it was a huge, huge risk. Calculated um, risk paid off. I mean, it was the best, looking back now, it was the best decision we we ever made, you yeah. know, but um, it was a really scary time. And when we moved in there, there was a lot of attention because we were 26 years old. There was probably four of us in the team and people were like, "How? Have, who are these guys? And like, <laughs> how have they got here? Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I, and I think there was that, yeah, like I say, there was a reaction from the industry that wasn't, necessarily embracing of our approach. I think um, looking at the ecosystem now and the fact that every gallery has Instagram and if you if you don't have these social media channels and you're not using kind of digital storytelling for your artists, you're basically doing a disservice to your artists um, um, because it's not really in tune with the way that the world works today. Um, and so there was this, I think probably a fear-based reaction to what we were doing. Um, and we felt that palpably, you know, um, and it's interesting because when NFTs and Web3 kind of burst onto the scene, which was like, it really happened. It came into the art world consciousness, obviously, through the Beeple sale, because that's when the art world obviously sit up and take notice when yeah. there's money involved. I think the same reaction that I saw back in 2013 to what we were doing with social media, I saw with the Web3 space. And when I looked into it, um, 
I kind of became fascinated with the infrastructure of blockchain and what it could do for artists and do for the industry. Um, on a sort of, on a technical level or on an economic level, the ability for blockchain to be able to split payments immediately um, and provide royalties for artists in perpetuity for their work is completely game-changing. I mean, there's there's no technology that exists that could have such a transformational shift on how the industry is operated and run. Um, because it is it has been for so long such an inequitable system. And blockchain is is the technological answer to that. Um, so that was that was kind of what pulled us into it in the first place. And also just this uh, sort of understanding that, you know, things are only heading in one direction. That and we genuinely see that as the future. Then delving more into the artists, the digital artists who have been using the technology for probably quite a long time under the radar. And these aren't the artists who were being necessarily talked about in headlines in the newspapers in 2021 at the time when NFTs were booming. These are artists who were basically quietly working away as professors or as computer scientists, um, creative coders, which is this really fascinating kind of subsection of artists who are using coding language to build to build their work. And was just blown, you know, when you when you meet these guys and you speak to some of these artists, what they're doing is just incredible, you know. And so they have had to struggle under the the sort of um, stigma of being a digital artist for so long. And this technology is is the technology that unlocks um, the ability for people to really collect their work in depth and for them to build careers for themselves and be recognized as artists rather than just a lot of them are sort of resigned to making work for for um, commercial brands. So like illustrators. Like exactly, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so, so after meeting some of these artists like Casey Reese, who we're actually showing, we're doing his first um, solo exhibition in the UK next year, which is a physical exhibition. Tyler Hobbs, amazing generative artists. Itzel Shells, um, Krista Kim. There's, I mean, there's there's so many artists now that we work with in the Web3 space who are just incredibly talented and inspiring people. And, and I think, you know, the mission of our gallery is, is about opening up doors and creating access for artists who maybe have been sidelined and I, I would put digital artists in that category to a large degree a lot of them have struggled for a long time and you know with reputation and access and opportunity and um so it made it made total sense for us to kind of to, to start a web3 program and i feel like we're, we're really taking a leading stance in in pushing the web3 space forward and trying to contextualize the artists who are working in that space by introducing them to curatorial teams commissioning writing around their work and also just communicating what they do in a level and in a way that maybe people can understand that is sort of slightly removed from their coding language um, sort of jargon and into, into more sort of layman terms. But once you do start to understand what they're doing, it's, it is fascinating because coding, like, like painting, is a language. Um, and it's something that has traditionally been seen as, I guess, something goal-oriented where you are writing code for a, a website page or for a product or a piece of technology. These guys are writing open-ended code, which is which has like immense variation in their outputs and is is entirely creative. So, yeah, I, it's it's a space that we're we're really excited about. Like both from an infrastructure kind of um, technical point of view, I think it can have amazing impacts on the industry, but also for the artists who are creating amazing work in that space. If we think about how things have been developing in the past couple of years, I when I was at university, I used to work at Sotheby's. And I remember seeing uh, Mario Klingemann's AI-generated artwork, and yeah. that was incredibly groundbreaking and interesting. And that was something that actually really 
caused me to look into it a little bit more. And I actually wrote my undergraduate dissertation on artificial intelligence and art. Uh -huh. This was before the whole big 2021 NFT art world boom. Yeah. I finished my degree in 2020. Mm. Um, however, I took art historical theories and I, I took that and applied that to authenticity and authorship mm. with um, technological reproduction, with collaborating with technology. So I looked at Mario Klingemann, but I also looked at Jake Elwes, who actually has something on at the VNA at the moment, also something that was generated through artificial intelligence and that technology, as well as Suguen Chung, who collaborates with AI, but also robotics. And that's another, you know, step in that process. Yeah. And that was all incredibly interesting to think about that development with digital technology. And so I, I think that it's really interesting how you've put it and how you've described why you guys chose to, to take that step and why you believe in that. Mm. And then also, I think that it's something that you said that was really interesting was that when you have that Web3, I guess, exhibition, is that a good way of me describing yeah. it? Yeah. Then you put in the same amount of surrounding effort, i.e. commissioning a text or working with curators yeah. to talk about that type of communication of the artwork and you treat it like a physical exhibition. Yeah. And I think that that really adds to it as well, instead of just saying just quote unquote, like, you know, this whole argument of, oh, you know, right click save and I have your artwork or whatever, yeah. you know, it's, it's. You need to get beyond that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so it's difficult for people to get beyond that, I think. Absolutely. For lots of people, it's um, stigmatized basically. Yeah. 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 And I think thinking about creativity and not just the physical output of it as in painting and why that's been so almost venerated as a medium sometimes because yeah. of the physicality or, yeah. or things like that. I think that it's interesting to look beyond that and talk about it. Mm. Moving back to speaking about the founding of Unit London, what are three things that you wish that you would have done differently or maybe three things that you were happy that you did during the first few years? The reason why I'm asking this is with the aim of getting some advice out there for maybe some budding art entrepreneurs and founders who may be listening. Got it. That's a great question. What would we have done differently? <laughs> I mean, for us, when we, we didn't have the option really to do anything differently because it was so belts and braces. And I think it, whenever I speak to kind of young gallerists or, you know, I mean, a lot of the time, actually, kind of young artists or young curators come into the space and they, they, they want to know kind of how to to kind of develop a, a project or, you know, open a show. And I think, I think there's a, there is a tendency for, for all of us to kind of think that we need to have a fully polished idea and have everything ready to go and a space and a, a team and a, a concept and a brand and a logo and everything ready to go before you start. And I think that there's a sense of inertia that comes with that because, you know, there's, you can spend forever trying to build it all and make it perfect and never actually do anything. And I think that maybe the benefit that we had when we started was that we we had no other option but to just go for it. Um, and a lot of what we've learned, we've learned on the job. So, um, you know, we didn't have a physical space. So we went walking the streets, literally looking for empty shops or empty units, whether it was a building site or an office space or whatever that we could mount a show in. And we would just find the landlord and approach them and see if we could go in there for a week or two and that kind of that that attitude of we're going to make something work here we're going to make it work even if it's not perfect um we'll find a way i think was foundational to what we've done obviously now things are much more planned out for us and we have um we have an amazing team who are you know who are able to kind of carry the mission of the gallery forward but 
Um, Little shout out there to uh, Kelsey and Rochelle for getting you on the oh, podcast absolutely. and communicating Kelsey with and me. And and I mean, we have, we have such an incredible, yeah, the team of the gallery is, is just so incredible. And, and the most rewarding thing really is to see people who really kind of believe in, in trying to change the industry somehow and create more accessibility who are all working together, like for this common goal of what we're trying to achieve with the gallery. It's the most humbling and rewarding thing for us. But yeah, I think for people starting out and wanting to kind of get into the industry, I think there is, there is no real formula, I would say. And that's the beauty of it. I think if you can, if you go out and if you do walk the streets of central London, you'll see lots of empty shops. And if you have the, um, you know, if you just find out who the landlord is, approach them, give them a call, do a pop-up shop, that will get you started. Yeah. And no perfectionism. No perfectionism, I think is a great thing. Yeah. I think perfectionism it is the, is the inertia, you know, it can, yeah. it can kill creativity also. Something actually we speak about a lot with some of our artists is, is, the ability to let go and 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 kind of allow things to develop naturally. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's not necessarily going to be perfect, but let it happen and learn from it. Yeah, I don't know if that answers the question at all, but uh <laughs> it does. It does. It does. Absolutely. It may not have been three things, but it was one that was that really <laughs> came through and then was very clear. I.e. Yeah. Well, I guess to summarize, like if we think about it in a, like a practical way, which it doesn't necessarily need to be. I think that um, all of this has been has been really useful. And I think as, as someone who like personally with the podcast, it is in a way having a bit of like an entrepreneurial mindset, right? And mm. if I would have been as much of a perfectionist, I am a perfectionist, I really struggle with it and I need to let it go mm. because I would have never launched this if I would have let myself be held back Right. I sat on the first five episodes for like, I think two months or like a month and a half before I said, okay, I'm ready to, to, to announce this, to let it be yeah. out in the world Yeah. because I was afraid. I was afraid of what people might think. I was afraid of how people would react. If people would think that my voice is annoying or maybe I say something stupid mm -hmm. and in reality, like, yeah, sometimes people did come back to me and say like, I really disagreed with this, but never has it ever been like this big, horrible thing. Like it's either constructive criticism and I can take it and yeah. it's like, okay, I can improve. Or I understand that, hey, maybe I'm not going to take this on board. Right, right. So it like that comes within not being a perfectionist. And then also like a bit of, I guess bootstrapping is not the correct term because there, that is an actual term within like entrepreneurship, but more just like getting down and dirty, going to calling landlords, going around London, finding your opportunities that way. Yeah. And really just going out there and, and getting it. Yeah. I think, you know, like lo lots of, um, even, even like the stories of the big galleries and the big gallerists, you know, a lot of the time, I mean, Larry Gagosian is maybe, um, an exception, an exception. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess he's someone who's kind of come from, you started selling posters and then has turned it into a huge empire. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I just think there's that entrepreneurial spirit has to exist in, in our industry because, as we've grown the gallery, you also start to realize that there are there are barriers and structures that kind of, I don't know if I'm thinking this actually myself in my own head, but structures that kind of suppress sort of younger galleries or certain galleries from kind of um, competing at a top level. I mean, if, if a, you know, if a young successful gallery starts representing great artists, often it's a matter of time before a big gallery comes along and goes, Hey, I, like, that's a great artist. Here's a million quid and a new studio. And 
um, it, it can be very difficult for, for young galleries to compete. Um, yeah. And I think the only, you know, the way that we've kind of navigated this is just by really not trying to conform to the rules of, of the industry and trying to carve out our own path. Um, because I, I feel like if we were to play into the terms of, of um, the existing system, we would just become cannibalized and, we, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to compete with the resource and the, the money, the, the scale of some of the bigger operations. So I think by, by kind of doubling down on our own um, instincts and our own way of doing things, and a lot of that does come down to the, the things we were just talking about, like being entrepreneurial, being go-getters, um, being passionate. By kind of doubling down on those things, I think we give ourselves a, our own identity and we're able to articulate kind of an alternative way of representing artists and creating impact for our artists. So yeah, I, I I do feel like there are systems that kind of are designed to suppress and we do kind of exist in somewhat of a monopoly system um, where there's big galleries who represent fantastic artists and we have um, a museum sector, which, you know, often shows the same types of artists who are represented from the same handful of galleries who are collected by the same handful of collectors. And it's really important for us, I think, to try and break that system and introduce new collectors, new artists, new perspectives into the industry and expand it. That's really kind of, that's, that's at the baseline, I think, of what we do. Talking about having this entrepreneurial mindset in the arts, I, I always say this, but I feel like our sector is actually very tiny mm. in comparison to other sectors. And I think that if more people would come in with that drive to change things and with doing things a little bit differently, with mm. bringing in new or revised structures into business, into art business in a way, yeah. um, then I think that we could actually really develop a, a larger sector, a more thriving sector. That's kind of what I'm trying to do on the podcast is mm. to encourage people to come in and either, yeah, if you want to go be a curator or an arts writer, or you want to work in a gallery, awesome. You have the tools and a little bit more knowledge to do that, listening to people talk about their jobs. But also you can learn more about the sector and think about how you want to make a difference or how you want yeah. to bring in your ideas. Yeah. And I think that that is so incredibly valuable. And yeah, I'm very much, I'm very much into that. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's also, there's never been more opportunity, right? I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like forums like this, like your podcast, um, being able to broadcast your um, and, and also kind of like pull down the veneer over the art world and, and let people see that actually it's a human thing. And yeah. um, there are people out there who are hustling and pushing forward and trying to um, trying to advance maybe a new perspective on things um, can only help. You know, it's it's all these things kind of ladder up to, to, to real change. And that's, I mean, you obviously you worked in galleries before and big galleries and- um, I'm, I'm still in one now, actually. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah full-time job. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so you're doing this like after hours, I guess, which yes. maybe why, yeah, okay, which is why we're here after, slightly after hours. Yep. Um, but, you know, I think, yeah, it's it's in order to kind of really pull down that veneer and, and get more people involved in the industry, it's like, it's things like this, I think, that, that really allow that to happen. Yeah. Um, and oh, people- Thank pe you. People have never had that, that level of um, exposure, I think, to- um, and the opportunity to to have access to content like what you're producing. So I think mm. it's, yeah, I think it's a really great thing. Thanks. I think it, it also ties in with what you said earlier about like going on Instagram. I mean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, podcasts in general, mm. you know, this is all a part of that uh, development online. Yeah. And so I wouldn't be able to disseminate this information for free. I mean, bar my, my own time and your time and right. everyone else's efforts. Right. But, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. I can, I can distribute it and, and send it out to hundreds, hundreds of people who 
can listen and actually hear that without any cost to them. And mm. it's something that's incredibly accessible for most people. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you a question because I'm sure that many people are wondering, how do you choose who you work with? And I want to ask this question in relation to artists that you work with, but also in relation to independent professionals that you work with, such as curators, because you do work with curators as well. Yeah. I mean, also, I would I would maybe even extrapolate that, that also to to collectors, because um, oh, yeah. we've worked with a lot of collectors over the years, and you start to realize um, certain intentions and motivations for collectors. And um, mm. we're, we're now probably much more selective than we were as to who we work with on the collector side as well, because um, the, the ecosystem from the artists to our, to our staff and our members of the team, the curators, it, it's all interlinked. But for, for the artists, um, we always look for artists who have an original language and, and, and sense of purpose. We're quite lucky that we don't have a, a investors or a committee that um, we have to get sign off from, let's say, to represent an artist. So for, for Johnny and I, we've always had the same taste you know we, we finish each other's sentences on a daily basis we, we've always been so aligned to like that in terms of in terms of the art that we love the artist that we love um creative direction everything and usually for us it's a very instinctive reaction like it it's we have a visceral reaction to to something that we see um which is kind of the first step we have to have that kind of like punch in the gut when we see an artist for the first time it has to have that impact on us otherwise um we just don't pursue it. And from there, then it's it's kind of delving more into kind of who the artist is and their story and what that language is, what that visual language is for them. What's the what's the purpose behind it? What, what are they looking to achieve with their work? What are they looking to say with their work? And I do think we live in a time where because of all these beautiful tools that we've been speaking about and Instagram and the access that we have to, to artists, there's a lot out there. And also I think it's easy for young artists to be quickly influenced by things that are trendy or that are hyped or that, you know, might sell well or um, are currently in vogue. And I think there are certain artists who are able to kind of uh, inoculate themselves from those temptations or, you know, are able to kind of really kind of look inwards and just carve their own path regardless of what's going on around them. Um, so they're the artists that we tend to tend to look for. And then beyond that, then it's, you know, if, if we love the message and we we start to think about the ambition of the artist and if their vision for their work and their career is aligned with the hunger and the passion and the vision that we have. And that's, that, that's, they're, they're really the, the key things I would say. Um, some of it is hard to articulate to be honest, because you know, there's certain artists that we see and for some inexplicable reason, Johnny and I are both obsessed, you know, um, and then we'll have to kind of post rationalize later, kind of like, you know, why, um, why we love this art so much. And sometimes that, that gut instinct is you have to follow that too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're definitely big believers in that. And yeah. And then, and then in terms of, um, the curators that we work with, some of the contributors we work with, even the team at the gallery, again, it kind of, I think everyone that we work with and that works with us is, is interested in communicating the messages of artists to, to a broad audience. Like, I think that's really the key thing. If you break down the gallery's mission into into one objective it's to to create more exposure for artists to to the widest possible audience and so i think every every single person that we work with at every level is interested in that same goal at a, at a very kind of rudimentary level that is the kind of that's the common denominator between everyone from the staff to the artist to the to the curators and i think yeah on the curatorial side we've worked with some incredible people and some incredible names um, writers authors historians um 
lecturers, curators. And I think the work they do is so important. For a long time, we basically couldn't afford to work with um, sort of arts professionals who are able to contextualize work for, from our artists. But it's something that we do very, very regularly now. I mean, we, we have a program called Voices, which Kelsey at the gallery is running, which is really an ideas-driven program that works a lot with contributors, curators, whether it's commissioned essays, pieces of writing, performance. And I think there was something recently with Hedy Judah. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. And actually, I think a couple of my friends, uh, Flora Bradwell, for example, was yeah. also included in that. And I was I was very happy to see that. Very yeah. cool. An amazing, <laughs> amazing show. Um, well, yeah, I mean, we five or six shows this year have been real standouts for us. And the beautiful thing about the Voices program is that um, money raised from sales from the exhibitions go towards a charity that is selected by the artists or the curator of the show. It's actually a program that started during covid um, as a way to kind of create more kind of thought-driven and idea-driven, impact-driven programming. So, but yeah, I, th I think fundamentally the, the the thing that ties everyone together, the thing that we always look for is is the the want and desire to to bring art to as many people as possible. That's that will always be our goal, um, and that's why you know scale for us is really important. Mass audience is really important, and the only way that you can speak to a mass audience is by you know creating forums and places that people feel welcome, that, that don't exclude people. Um, we want to pull down barriers rather than put barriers up always at all times. And yeah, I think everybody that we work with internally and externally, they all have that same, that same drive and same motivation. Yeah. Yeah. My penultimate question, where do you see Unit London heading in the next 10 years? Um, I think about this a lot, believe it or not. Um, I do believe it. I think because it's your business. Yes, I do believe it. Yeah. I, I mean, we, it, first of all, I think just it, it's still really difficult for us to accept that it's been 10 years because it still feels like yesterday when we were just like 22 uh, and 22 in our twenties. Um, wait, wait, how old were you when you started it? We were 22. Oh, okay. That was just we a were, lucky guess on oh, my yeah. hands. We were literally, literally I, 22. I think I was maybe 23. Johnny was 22. I was okay. 23. And um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's so different now to, to what it was. And we we had no we had no support really in starting a gallery like our friends. And everyone was like, what, is, what do you mean you're starting a gallery kind of thing? Um, because I think not having the access to the industry and not having worked in the industry, not having family in the industry or any connections, um, does, does prohibit you really from understanding it. And people are a bit kind of shocked that you're like interested in getting involved in doing something oh, like God, that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, when I said I was going to study art history, everyone was like, but how are you going to make money? What da, 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 da. And I'm like, yeah. I love it. Okay, just leave me alone. Yeah. Thank God my mom was like, go for it. And that's all I needed. Fueled by passion. Yes. Yeah. The, the best way. I <laughs> yeah. Mean, yeah. 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 It's, it's hard for us to believe. I mean, but um, the next 10 years for us is, is if the first 10 years have been defined by maybe disruption you could say starting from the outside and kind of now working our way inside the industry um i mean when we started we were complete outsiders obviously no one knew who we were and everything um now we almost have one foot in the door and we work with some of the biggest institutions and curatorial voices and artists and collectors in the world so we've we've come a really long way um but we still feel like we're just getting started. And that's why it just, it still feels like we've been doing this for a year, not 10. Um, but for us, I think we we really want to kind of scope out the next 10 years as being doubling down really on, on our support of 
our core mission of, of championing creativity and bringing art to a much broader audience. And there's, there's ways I think that we're going to iterate on that. And, um, a lot of it centers really on kind of giving back to the art ecosystem and trying to cultivate the art ecosystem, because now I think we're probably in more of a position to do that. Obviously the, the first 10 years are about keeping the lights on and finding a permanent space and, you know, creating a, a viable business, which took a while, by the way, the first couple of years <laughs> were not, were, were not healthy. Um, but, you know, I think now we're in a position where we are able to kind of expand the team and be much more intentional with our decision-making. Um, and a big part of that is in, is going to be in kind of cultivating, um, cultivating kind of good practice in, in the industry, um, providing opportunities for artists from non-conventional backgrounds, um, whether that's through grants or prizes, I, again, sort of programs like voices, I think really help with that, that are ideas driven that are kind of bringing maybe non-conventional or unrepresented artistic voices to the fore and then trying to generate funds for for initiatives, charities, projects that are trying to make change in their respective fields. Similar uh, to what actually what you're doing with the 10 year anniversary with our event, all proceeds are going to hospital rooms. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I think that that's definitely something that um, I think, well, I would like to ultimately be the thing that defines the gallery, you know, is, is if we really want to make change, we need to um, create these initiatives, commit to these initiatives and take a leading role in, in, in giving back to the community in the right way and supporting artists who need that support and need the platform. Um, because I think one of the things that really drives us is the idea that great art exists everywhere, sometimes in like the most surprising places. Um, it doesn't just exist in art schools. And it certainly doesn't start there. So um, it's about identifying where that incredible talent lies and then being able to support it. Um, so that's that's something that I think we're going to be looking at really for the next um, for the next 10 years. And maybe it's not having 10 galleries around the world, which is maybe what I wanted 10 years ago. Yeah, um, I was going to ask about, well, I, d I wasn't, wasn't going to ask because like, you know, I was going to pry, but like international expansion, you know. Yeah, it's always been, it's always been, uh, on the cards for us, you know, I think, um, over the last five or six years, there's been opportunities for us to expand internationally in open spaces. And, um, thank God we didn't actually, because, uh, just the operational cost of, of running multiple spaces mm -hmm. and the stress of it all would have been too much for us at the time. And I think we, we sort of took maybe the more sensible route of, uh, not running before we could walk yeah. and just really establishing the processes of the gallery and, um, I feel like we're now in a place where we can take that next step and hopefully by the time our event comes around next week, we'll have some really exciting news to share because we are working on something pretty exciting, which is not another gallery, but it's, it's maybe a more interesting way of us being able to kind of execute on our mission and, um, yeah, kind of provide, um, support and opportunity for artists who need it. So, uh, yeah, hopefully by then we'll, we'll be able to announce something. It's been something that we've been working on for quite a while now. Oh, well, I'm very excited. excited. <laughs> Can't wait. It's going to be, what, just over a week? Just over a week, yeah. I, actually, I should have had the news today, but I didn't. So, and I don't want to jinx anything. Damn. Okay. All right. <laughs> fine. I'll wait. Um, okay. Well, finally, to end it, a fun question. And I ask all of my guests this who come on the podcast, and every single time they say that it's such a difficult one to answer. If you could pick one artist from art history to have dinner with, who would it be and why? Oh, my word. Oh, my God. 
I want to say maybe Rene Magritte, just because I studied him in French at school and really studied his work. And um, I feel like it's that kind of conceptual aspect is something that really is still very relevant today. Hmm. But that is a very, that's a very, very good question. It's hard, isn't it? It's Because so there's so many amazing people. But I feel like Magritte is a very good, like, I think that would definitely be up in my top favorites as well, because surrealism and thinking about that as well. And yeah. I mean, just that whole entire movement was so interesting. I'm a big fan of like Peggy Guggenheim and stuff, but it all, mm. that whole entire group of people, just fabulous. Who would be yours? Oh, no, no, I don't answer that oh, question. Oh, you don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I only ask the question. I, I don't answer it's a great, It's such a great question. I mean, it's also like, you know, like the dinner guest question is yes. also I find it's so hard to actually kind of like identify one or two people from history because, yeah, yeah, it's obviously such a rich tapestry, you know? Yeah, it's quite tough. It's quite tough. But thank you so much for answering that and also for coming on the podcast and for sharing your experience and expertise. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been, it's been really nice and um, really looking forward to next week as well. And that is it for today on All About Art. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a rating or a review as it helps more people discover the show. Also, feel free to share with your friends or if you share on social media, tag me and get in touch. Thank you so much for listening.